Welcome to the Lifehouse Church Podcast. Lifehouse is a church that exists to invite all people to live an uncommon life by following Jesus, doing life together, getting in the game, and leaving a legacy. We hope that today's message helps you grow as a follower of Jesus, gives you perspective to see yourself and others differently, and inspires you to make a difference in the world around you. Now, let's get to this week's message. Well, good morning, Lifehouse family. So good to see you. I'm excited to preach today. It has been two weeks since I have preached, so I have a lot to say. Uh, this, so this could be a long message, um, but I'm excited today to dive back into our series, um, Thy Kingdom Come, and kind of what I want to start off with is saying this. Um, in your walk with Jesus, sorry, in your walk with Jesus, at some point in time, you will be disappointed. God will disappoint you. Jesus disappointed a lot of people. Welcome to Lifehouse. This is going to be an encouraging message today, right? Everyone's hype. What a mighty God. Jesus is going to disappoint you, right? No, but, but honestly, it is... It is actually extremely true. Like at some point in your journey and walk with Jesus and learning and, and as you learn to live in the kingdom of God, you will experience disappointment. Actually, Jesus disappointed a lot of people. And actually what I have heard leadership is, so if you have leadership anywhere, what I've heard leadership described as is leadership is disappointing people at a pace they can handle. And for many of you that, that have led anything, you know that is partially true. But Jesus disappointed a lot of people, and we can actually see it in the scripture we read. Wasn't that a scary scripture like John 666? <laughs> did, did anyone else catch that? Like, this is creepy. Like, I don't know about you. If I go to a store, like, I remember being at 7-Eleven, and the total was $6.66, I grabbed Reese cups and put them on the table because I was like, my total is not going to be $6.66. We're going to get some gum or something. We're going to get some bubble gum. We're going to get something to, to make it $6.79, okay? But that verse is actually the very end of John chapter 6. And if you follow the progression of John chapter 6, you'll actually see a trajectory that I think we can relate with. Because at the beginning of John 6, so, so this is John 6, 2. It says, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. So he had people following him. Jesus had people following him because he had healed them, because people had seen miraculous signs. But also, too, John chapter 6 is where Jesus fed the 5,000. So not only do you have people following Jesus because he healed them, there's people that are like, yo, Jesus gives meals? He's like, meals on wheels? <laughs> like, let's go. Maybe back in that day, egg prices were 12 bucks for 12 eggs. You know, you just never know, right? Like, like, but Jesus was providing food. So then from that great miracle that he did, a lot of people followed him. But then you actually see in John 6, 26, it says, Jesus answered because Jesus had people talking to him, asking him questions. And John, the writer of the gospel of John, brings this out. He says, Jesus 
answered, very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. So Jesus is basically saying, you're not following me because you really want me. You're following me for what you can get from me. Isn't it true that many of us can follow Jesus, maybe for not because of who Jesus is, but because of what we want Jesus to do for us? We have to examine our motives, have to really examine. So through all of that, right, that better be Jesus texting you. I'm just just kidding. Um, If that is Jesus, let me know and tell me what he says. No, but, but so here's the thing, right? You've got Jesus healing the sick, Jesus feeding the 5,000, Jesus saying, hey, you need to make sure you know why you're following me, but then Jesus goes into what, would we, what was described back then and what even we will describe right now as a hard teaching. So Jesus basically goes into and is like, hey, you followed me because you wanted your physical body fed, but I just did not come to feed your physical body. I came to fill your spiritual need. I came to be, and this is where Jesus described himself. He said, I am the bread of life. He says, what the deepest need you have in your life isn't for physical food. It is for spiritual nourishment. And so Jesus described himself, one of the metaphors that he used to describe himself, you actually see in the book of John, he gives seven I am statements of saying, I am the vine. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. I am the door. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And here he says, I am the bread of life. He was essentially saying, I came to fill that deepest need. And then Jesus said, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can have no part of me. Now, I don't know about you, but Jesus selling like, yo, like the kingdom of God is like eating people. That's essentially what Jesus was saying. You, like, you, like, you got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. But the people missed what he was really saying. He wasn't saying, literally, eat me. <laughs> he was saying, like, what I came to give you will nourish the deepest part of your soul. I am the bread of life. And what this chapter concludes with at the end when Jesus gave this hard teaching is the verse we read to begin our day. John 666, John Antichrist, right? No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. John 666. From this time on, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Wow. So you got this trajectory of people following him. It's, 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 it's like Jesus shrunk his church. Jesus had people following him, signs, wonders, feeding. And then when people heard what maybe some of the expectation was in following him, people were like, Jesus, thanks for what you did for us, but that's a hard teaching. We're out. And I've been in this church game a long time. I've been a pastor coming up on, I'm getting old, 16 years. And what I have seen is, unfortunately, this is the trajectory that many people follow. They want Jesus to do something for them. And Jesus will because Jesus meets us many times in our greatest need. He wants to heal. But then at the same time, we then put this expectation on Jesus that anything you want, you think he should do. And then when he maybe tells you no or maybe tells you there's a different route, a different way, maybe it's not going to be the way things you want to do, then we can almost have this, well... Jesus, thanks for what you did. Thanks for the past, but I don't know if this is for me. I'm out. And we can, so many people take the trajectory of we turn back and no longer follow him. What I think happened here is people's expectations 
kept them from fully following Jesus. Because Jesus did something for them, he healed them, he fed them, he did these things for them, is they had this expectation that was built on what they had experienced, what they had seen. And so then when Jesus did not meet the expectations that they had and the expectations that they wanted Jesus to do, the expectations led them to be like, no. And really, I think essentially they became disappointed when Jesus said something they didn't like. Let me tell you this, and your journey and walk with Jesus, you will encounter times where Jesus and the Bible and his word will say things that you don't like. And in those moments is going to be very deciding of what you're going to do. I love what Tim Keller says. He says this, to stay away from Christianity because part of the Bible's teaching is offensive to you assumes that if there is a God, he wouldn't reveal any teachings that upset you. Does that make any sense? But if we aren't careful, we will have these expectations of what we want Jesus and his kingdom to be. And we will miss who Jesus actually is because of the expectations we have. And what I've seen is that most disappointments we experience with God are wrong, misguided, or they're just unhealthy. And really, I think we need to dive into expectations. We need to talk about expectations. In the church, I always heard expectation is the breeding ground for miracles, which I can see that. I can see why, but I've also experienced unhealthy, unrealistic expectations can be a breeding ground for disappointment. Have you ever experienced that in relationships? You go into marriage and your expectation is, you're going to meet every one of my needs. You're going to be my everything. You are my soulmate, and then you get into marriage, and it's a little different than you thought. And when you take God-like expectations and put it on a finite person, you better get ready for some disappointment because you have unhealthy, wrong expectations for the relationship or for the person. Right? Many of us go into jobs, and we're like, this job is going to be the best. This is what I've been praying for. This is what I went to school for. And you've got these expectations, and then you go into it, and you realize the expectations you had don't, don't, that it was actually way off, and now you're in a season of disappointment. And this is what I think that if we are not careful, we will do with Jesus and his kingdom. That as we learn to live in the kingdom of God, and as we learn to discover who Jesus is, we will bring into his kingdom and bring to Jesus all of these expectations of what we want him to be. And these expectations can be formed and shaped by a lot of things, by your experiences. They can be shaped by what you've heard about Jesus. It can be from what you've heard other people say about Jesus and his kingdom. But what I have learned is that if you try to bring your expectations of what you want Jesus to be and what you want living in his kingdom to be, you will probably experience a season of disappointment. Because people are good at creating a Jesus they want and they like and they're comfortable with. I see this all the time. I see this especially on TikTok Christianity or Facebook Christianity. I saw this the other day. There was one political commentator who I will re remain nameless, but he goes to one side of the political spectrum, has dedicated his life to ensuring one side's agenda doesn't get to his church. 
So he started naming these Bible verses about things Jesus did. Well, Jesus made a whip and turned over tables. Jesus said if anyone makes a child sin, it'd be better that they just tie a millstone around their neck and throw them into the sea. And I'm like, I pray people see what's going on here. This man is creating a Jesus in his image. He is creating and forming and shaping a Jesus that he wants more than saying who actually Jesus is. Because if you're not careful, you will see how you're wired and what's important to you. Find a way or a place where Jesus does that or says that and be like, see, Jesus is exactly how I want him to be. Without saying, let's see all of Jesus. Let's look and see all of his kingdom, not just what expectations you have and what you want him to be. Because yes, Jesus flipped over tables. But flipping over tables is no excuse for your anger. Flipping over tables is no excuse for your lack of self-control. It's not an excuse for your lack of tactness and kindness. But if you're not careful, we'll say, well, Jesus did that. I love how, well, Jesus hung out with sinners. Jesus, you know, it's, it's like, you know, Jesus was full of grace. He loved on sinners. I agree with you. He was gracious towards sinners, those who were the most marginalized, the outcasts. He gave a place. He gave safety. But Jesus never compromised his standards. He was full of grace and full of truth. The woman that was caught in adultery, the religious leaders came and threw her at Jesus' feet. And Jesus provided a safe place for her. He provided refuge for her. When they were condemning her, he told them, who of you has never sinned? If so, throw the first stone. No one threw it. And then he told her, neither do I condemn you. He gave grace, but then he said, go and sin no more. He gave grace, but then he said that doesn't mean the truth goes anywhere. Do y'all see how we can all have a proclivity to do this? And when we bring our expectations of who we want Jesus to be and what we want living in the kingdom to be, and we bring it to him, you have to be ready because many times your expectations don't match Jesus' expectations. And there needs to be a realignment of expectations. Because here's the thing. I kind of feel like my job is to be a tour guide for you. Because some of you are like, man, I, Jesus has never disappointed me. He's always been good. You are good. You know, like just, he's never disappointed you. Or many of you, you might be in a season of decision. Like I know many of you are in very different places and spots right now. Very different experiences and stuff like that. But at the same time, I am telling you, at some point in your walk with Jesus, you will experience disappointment. Not just with others or yourself, but with God. And I want to put tools in your hands today to help you. Be like, yo, when that season hits, maybe you're already in that season. I pray today is a word from God from you. That it is something that fills your soul and gives you perspective to see things differently. So that, that's what I want to be today is a tour guide. But here's the thought. Be careful of projecting onto Jesus and his kingdom what you want him or it to be. So I'm going to dive into four expectations real quick that I think will ultimately lead you to disappointment as if you bring them to Jesus and bring them into his kingdom. First, the, the, the first one is this. You thought it would be easier. Anyone ever thought following Jesus would be easier? No. Okay, well, we have some honest people here. Right? Like, 
I don't know about you, but I'm like, if I give my burdens to Jesus, it's going to be easier. Life's going to be easier. But sometimes what happens is, is when you give the, your burdens to Jesus and start to follow him, sometimes it feels like your life gets harder. And you're like, hold up, I wasn't expecting this. I was expecting easier. I, w- I was expecting life to get a lot better. But here's the thing. When you start to follow Jesus, you start a war. And I've said this before. When you start to follow Jesus, you are literally starting a spiritual war. Because the devil doesn't fight stuff that's already following him. The devil does not fight people who he already has. And when you make a decision, a cognitive, a life decision to say, I'm not going this way. I'm going this way now. You've just started a war. And the devil knows your most vulnerable time is when you start. So when you make that decision to follow Jesus and live in his kingdom and live according to his kingdom principles, be expecting it not to be easier, but to be harder. But here's the truth. Jesus is more concerned about your growth than he is your comfort. So if it's not easy, welcome to the kingdom of God. Welcome to following Jesus. But Jesus is a good father. God is a good father. And if you are a father, a mother, whatever, this is stuff you know to be true. I tell my son all the time, Jackson, raise hand, Jackson. I tell him all the time, I am not here to make your life easy. I am here to grow you to be a man. I am here to create some controlled chaos to build in you resiliency because I just can't transport to you qualities. They have to be built. And this is the exact way, even fruit of the spirit, fruit doesn't just appear. Fruit starts with the ground and the seed and has to be cultivated. It's got to grow. Jackson plays basketball. I coach his team. There was this one point in the game where I, I wanted to create some chaos. So Jackson's a pretty good player. I took all the other good players out and kept him in with four players that struggle. And Jackson was mad. He's looking over at me. Dad! He has all of my expressions. So the way that I preach, you go on the basketball court, Jackson's like, I talk with, with my hands. That's what Jackson does. But he's yelling at his dad. He's yelling at his coach. He's like, why, dad? What are you, what are you doing? And he's yelling at me and mad at me. And I was like, okay, I got, I got to get him out of the game. He's about to have a breakdown. So I took him out of the game, put some other people in. I brought him over, and I was like, Jackson, you are better than you think you are. You don't think you can handle the pressure. I know you can And I said, but look, I was trying to put some controlled pressure on you, not to crush you, but to grow you. Because I know he's got it in him. But this is, you know, it's like having this perspective helps me to sometimes realize how God is with us. And when we come into the kingdom of God, we can have the expectation, he's God, he can do whatever he wants, he's just going to give it to me. No, he ain't. Because he wants you to earn it, he wants you to... he wants you to not earn it, but, but he, wants, he wants you to appreciate it, and he wants, to, wants you to be a part of the journey. Because all of you know anything worth anything is fought for. Anything worth anything, if it's appreciated, happens whenever you are a part of the process. So here's the thing. Like some of you have the expectation, it's going to be easy. My prayer is that as you follow Jesus and as you live to live in his kingdom, when you realize it's hard, you're going to be like, this is what I signed up for. 
and then sign up just for easy for Jesus just to do everything. I want to work in unison and keep in step with him. Does that make sense? Second, secondly, um, you thought it would be um, more exciting. So you thought the goosebumps you feel in the service would happen on Monday morning at 8.30. The, the joy and the excitement you feel on a Sunday, you thought that it would just boil over. And you would just always feel this excitement and this motivation and this passion. But then you actually realize the truth is this, that a whole lot of following Jesus and living in his kingdom is done in the mundane and the drudgery of the day-to-day. That it's going to be you operating not just on what you feel, but it's going to be operating on what you know that God is good. And I think when people realize that many times feelings aren't always there, they can want to hit the eject button. Why? Because, like I said, we can have the expectation of you're always going to be motivated. You're always going to want to. And, and y'all, just to be honest, following Jesus many times does not happen with all of the Holy Ghost goosebumps that you feel in a worship service. I mean, just, just think, like, because we all want sports center Christianity. Da-na-na, da-na-na. It's like the top ten list is your life. All the highlights. Top plays, ten top plays. We even look at the Bible. The Bible is literally a lot of sports center highlights. We are looking at people's lives that lived 80, 90 years, and we're seeing nine pockets of, of their life, the good and the bad. And we, y'all, like a lot of their life was lived in drudgery, was lived in the mundane of the day-to-day. And the Bible just shows like sports center highlights of people's lives. And we've got to realize that's going to be us. We're going to have ups and downs and peaks and valleys, and it's going to be if we just want a sports center Christianity without realizing there's a lot of moments, right? We can see Kobe Bryant hitting game-winning shots. Watch a documentary on Kobe Bryant. How many of what he did, he was in the training room, getting his knees iced, sitting in the cold tub, sitting in the sauna, going out to practice, shooting 1,000 shots before the game. That's the stuff no one sees. They only see the highlights of him winning game-winning shots, of him breaking records, of him winning championships. But all of that stuff was predicated on what people did not see. And that's what it's going to be like living in the kingdom of God. You want to shine in the the moments where you're before people. You have to make sure you're doing what you need to do in private. You you want to have fruit in public? You want to go out to your job and love love people (laughs) and not cuss people out, not yell at people? There's going to be a lot of times you've got to be in your prayer closet. There's got to be a lot of times you are intentional about disciplines to create an environment that get the result you want to get the result that God wants you to have. Thirdly, we can have the expectations. We thought it would be clearer. Anybody else thought when you started to follow Jesus, his will would just play like a movie in your mind. And you are just mirroring and miming what God is showing you. But then you realize a lot of what following Jesus is, is a lot of times where you have no clue whether it's God or not. And you're praying and hoping this is God. What we teach at our church is is basically essentially this. It seemed good to us and to the Holy Spirit. Meaning, what you see, Acts chapter 15, the church was brand new. They were trying to make decisions and choices. And they come to this place and they have, so we're not talking about like, you know, me, you know, like, or some other pastor. Like they had Paul, you know, Paul, the guy that wrote one third of the new Bible of, of, of 
the New Testament or two-thirds of it. You know, they had James, John, all of these disciples that walked with Jesus. There was a decision that they did not know what to do. I'm like, how could y'all not know what to do? Y'all, like, but, but they, they worked together. They sought the Holy Spirit. They debated. They discussed. And then they said, you know what? It seems good to the Holy Spirit and to us to go this route. And I'm like, a lot of living with Jesus is seems good. Do you know what seems good means? Eh. <laughs> seems good. It's not against the Bible. It loves others. It puts others first. There's no selfish motives. You know, like I've, I've asked people wiser than, than myself. I've included community. And you know what? It seems good. Yep. This is what a lot of following Jesus is going to be. And what, what and, 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 but so here's the thing. Here is the truth, though. Go ahead and bring that truth up. In the kingdom of God, understanding follows obedience instead of understanding leading to obedience. Because many times we, we, we want to fully understand before we obey. So Jesus says, you know, God, God says, Scripture says. We got kids in here? Sorry. Don't have sex before you're married. This is 2023. Who is this archaic, mean God? Tell me what to do. Okay. How is that working in 2023? People broken mentally, emotionally, spiritually, psych psychologically. And people want to understand God's ways in order to actually obey God's ways instead of saying, you won't understand until you obey. How many of y'all know this? Like, I was 15 years old. I remember this clear as day. My mom was like, you ain't going to no parties. Huh. Well, all my friends are doing it. I don't care. I remember yelling at, at my mom, when my kid's 15, he can do whatever he wants. <laughs> hey, Jax. Just want to let you know, brother. When you're 15, you ain't going to no parties, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't understand, and I wanted understanding before I obeyed, instead of realizing I had to obey before I understood, and this is what the kingdom of God is. We want full clarity before we obey, and Jesus is like, you won't understand until you obey. You will not understand my ways until you follow them. I mean, how many times did our parents, like, just realize you're not going to understand, but I need you to trust, trust me. This is the way it is with Jesus and his kingdom. You want clarity? The best way to clarity is obedience. The best way to clarity is to obey. Okay. Are, are we doing okay? Okay. You guys are quiet today, so I guess you guys are just listening. The next, the, the final expectation I feel like we, we bring is that we can think that living in the kingdom of, of God and following Jesus, it would be more formulaic. Meaning, I do this, God does that. I'm a good person, Jesus treats me like I'm good. I do good, Jesus gives me everything I want. Right? And what you actually realize is Jesus doesn't want a formula with you, he wants relationship. And if you realize relationships can have patterns, but many times relationships fail when they have formulas. See, here's the thing. Jesus said he wanted to give you the spirit of truth to, 
He actually called the spirit the counselor. I will send a help, a counselor to be with you. Paul says, keep in step with the spirit. So following Jesus is less like, like a formula and more like a dance where you have to learn some moves and you have to follow, and, right? And sometimes I think we can come into the kingdom of God. Now, here's the thing. This, there, are, there are principles in the kingdom of God, but we just have to make sure that we don't treat Jesus like a formula, okay? Now, if you follow Jesus any amount of time, you will, re you will realize Jesus talked about death a lot. People don't realize that uh, about Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the life, and that is, abs ab that is absolutely true. But Jesus always talked about life coming when there's death. Meaning that when you come to follow Jesus, like one of the verses Jesus said, put up um, Matthew. Je you know, Jesus said this. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, he must de do what? deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And what he's saying is just that, like, following Jesus, you will have, like, it will literally feel like a death. Where there will be plenty of moments and times where you will have to, in many ways, as Jesus did, die. Like, I don't know about you, marriage, I love marriage, but in many ways it has felt like a death. I love you, babe, if you're in here. It's not her fault. It's because of my selfishness. Right? It's not her fault because she has got ways that God's wider needs that, that she has. And because I'm selfish and I want my way, it has felt like many times in marriage, like I am on a cross and I'm having to crucify my flesh. But this is exactly what Jesus said. As you follow him, as you learn to live in his kingdom, there will be things you will have to die to. That's why even Paul, whenever he was talking to the church in Colossae, he said this. He was talking to them about their old way of life. He was saying, you are new in Christ. You're raised with Christ. Your identity is new. You are new. And because of who you now are, this is what you'll have to do. Put to death. Everyone say put to death. Put to death. Have a funeral. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. We have to almost bring the expectation of when we go into the kingdom of God and we start to follow Jesus, there will, be, it, there, there will be some death. And one of the things that has to die when we start to follow Jesus is our expectations. Your expectations need a funeral. Your expectations need a casket. They need a funeral. Why? Because if you don't let go of, your, of the expectations of what you want Jesus and his kingdom to be, that will keep you from receiving who he actually is and what his kingdom is like. I thought that was a better line than I got responses. Because we can spend so much time creating a Jesus we want instead of receiving Jesus as he actually is. Because of our expectations because of the expectations we have. Everybody wants a resurrection, but no one wants a cross. I'm gonna say that one more time. 
We can always want a resurrection without a cross. Meaning we, we want a, res, a resurrected marriage, but we don't want a, the cross of dying to ourselves. We can want a resurrected new life in Christ, but we don't, many times don't, wanna, don't want the cross. Jesus shows us what it's like to live in the kingdom of God. Jesus experienced a, res, a resurrection, but the resurrection didn't happen without the cross. And I say that in love, and I say that to chart the course for you of in your following Jesus, living in his kingdom, when you feel like you're dying, what's actually happening is resurrection life is about to spring up. That as you let selfishness die, selflessness can resurrect. As greed and consumerism die, generosity can resurrect. As you look at what your desires are and as you align them with God's word and it feels like you're literally dying, what's going to resurrect is something the spirit calls self-control. We have to know that in death, in that death, there is a new life rising up, a resurrection happening. So what do we do when we're in a season of disappointment? Okay, death is a part of it. But honestly, what do you do when you are in a season of disappointment with God? I want to get really practical with you. And I remember walking through a season of disappointment very clearly, 2009 to 2012. I had these unrealistic expectations. I kind of had this mentality with God, like, hey, I've done all these things for you, and now I am. Now I came back home. I was, I was working a youth pastor job in um, a town called Horseheads, New York. Yeah, that's an actual city. Uh, and I came back home, had the hardest time finding a job, and I was literally crawling houses, doing fungus treatments, doing termite treatments, and I'm literally under the house, like, yelling at God, like, God, I gave you my life, and this is what I get. Ten bucks an hour, working this nasty, stinky job. Lord, I thought you had a ministry for me. Right? And I remember it was a three-year period of grave disappointment, talks with God, anger at God, working through, here, here's the thought, my false expectations of tit for tat, of God is a genie. I do these things for him. He must do these things for me. And when he didn't do these things for me, I actually had a season of saying, God, forgive me. He wasn't the problem. It was my expectations that were the problem. And I had to go through a season of, of disappointment to get my expectations aligned. So I want to talk to you when, if maybe you're in this season of disappointment, maybe you're going to walk into this season of, uh, of disappointment. Let me give you some practical tools to help you. Number one, you've got to accept reality. You know what we can do? We can gaslight ourselves. You know what gaslighting is? Where you try to make someone else think they're crazy. So you try to create a story, you try to create a narrative that isn't true or, or right, and your whole goal is to make them think they're crazy. And we can do this with ourselves. Instead of just accepting reality, if you are disappointed with God, you do not need to be afraid or scared to just say it. Acknowledge it. Accept it. God is not afraid of you being disappointed with him. At all. It's actually crazy how many people in the Bible were disappointed with God. And we're actually in very good company. 
that actually should take away the fear where if we're disappointed, we can actually acknowledge it. Because what I've said many times is that instead of accepting what, what we feel, validating what we feel, we will deny it, we will devalue it, we will spiritualize it, we'll tell others and they'll, cheer, and they'll cheerlead you and spiritualize you. And instead of processing the disappointment we feel, we don't process it. But let me tell you this, whatever feeling or whatever emotion isn't processed is still there. And if we don't process it and we don't accept the reality that we are facing disappointment, and we actually have the courage to sit in it, but not just sit in it, welcome God into the disappointment, then we'll just push it away, push it away, you know, God's good, you know, which are true statements. But at the same, same time, just because God's word is true doesn't mean we push away what, what we feel. And we have to accept the reality if you are disappointed. Acknowledge it. Affirm it. I think about Jesus, the Son of God. Before he went to the cross, he, taught, he asked his father, is there any other way to make this happen? If so, do it. His father was like, no, you've got to go through with this. Disappointment. I think about self-sufficient Paul. He, scripture says he had a thorn, and he told God, if you could take this thorn from me, do it. It's irritating. It's agitating me. And God told him back, my grace is sufficient, brother. And just imagine the disappointment. So I think if, if when you're in a season of disappointment, acknowledging it and accepting it is actually the first step to getting through it. Secondly, though, you have to define what a win looks like in a season of of disappointment. I don't know about you, but every season, in every, you have to be able to, by the grace of God and the Spirit of God, discern what season you're in. And what, I'm, what I mean by that, right, is like, because, you know, I don't know about you, but growing up in church, I always heard, we go from glory to glory. Has anyone else heard that? Glory to glory. And what I think we've meant by that is things just keep on getting better and better. And I'm not saying that following Jesus doesn't mean, but better doesn't mean easier. Like glory to glory doesn't mean just things get easier. Glory to glory means you're being shaped and formed into the image of who Jesus is. And that just doesn't happen through ease and comfort. That many times happens through the crucible of pain and suffering. And so when the Bible talks about from glory to glory, that's what that means. But we have to be able to discern like what season are you in right now? right now. If you're in a season of disappointment, you have to know many times winning in a season of disappointment is not quitting on God. It's literally not quitting because the devil will use a season of disappointment to assassinate the character of God in your life. The devil will use seasons of disappointments to get you to quit, tell you that it was your fault, but what the devil wants you to do more than anything is exactly what we read in John 6, 6, 6. <laughs> Disciples turned around and no longer followed him. That's his goal, family. That's what he wants you to do. He wants to say, and Dwayne turned around and no longer followed him. 
Laura turned around and no longer followed him. Rob turned around and no longer followed him. That's, that's his goal. That's what he wants. And he will especially use a season of you being disappointed with God as the doorway to get in. To, like I said, assassinate the character of God, make you think God isn't good, make you think he doesn't love you. And in those seasons, you hanging on is a win. You hanging on to the little faith you have is a win. So you've got to be able to discern the season you're in. And if you're in a season of disappointment, you need to hang in there. Hang in there. Lastly, though, you can come up, Josie, or whoever's playing keys. You, you, in, in, in different seasons, because here's the thing, right? When you are in a honeymoon stage with Jesus, and everyone knows what I'm saying whenever I say that, right? Like, you're with Jesus and everything's good, and it just feels like, you know, kind of like your first six months marriage. And maybe for you, that wasn't a great six months, but... For most people, you've got the honeymoon stage, right? And it's great and nothing, and it's, it's just like, and it's kind of like in that stage, you're going to church and you're excited, you're reading your Bible, you're praying, you're growing. But when you hit seasons of, dis, of disappointment, it's crazy how what you did in one season doesn't do what it did in this next season. Because some of you, when you're in a season of disappointment, it's hard for you to like read the Bible. It's hard for you to want to come to church. It's hard for you to engage in the spiritual disciplines and graces that God gives for you to encounter his presence. I, like, I remember learning about this. Like when, when we're in different seasons and we encounter different places, like different spiritual disciplines and ways of connecting with God are actually okay. Because I think in church, we're only taught read your Bible and pray. And yes, those are definitely disciplines that we love and cherish and and we should do, but I remember being in that season of disappointment even recently, a couple years back, where I was like, I feel like I'm reading the Bible and it just feels like I'm literally reading a brick wall or I'm at church or I'm praying, what, whatever. And when I learned about other spiritual disciplines and really spiritual disciplines are just graces and ways for you to encounter the presence of God. Spiritual disciplines are pathways for the life of God to come into your life. And so I remember like, hearing like a spiritual discipline when you're in a season of disappointment, a great spiritual discipline is to find a friend or maybe even a therapist to give you a safe space to process and talk. That's actually a spiritual discipline. Where if you find a friend that you can just open up with and share with, and this friend isn't trying to fix you, this friend isn't trying to to, to, to just kind of like cheerlead your problems. They're not trying to just fix your problems. They're just a safe space to where, wherever you're sharing is okay. Do you know how helpful that is in a season of disappointment? Do you know how helpful it is maybe to see a therapist and be like, I'm feeling this and sensing this? Maybe a pastor, a brother, a spiritual friend, someone that can just be a safe space for you to process? In a season of disappointment, that is gold because when you're in a season of disappointment normally you want to just isolate 
You want to just be to yourself. Maybe you're even ashamed. Maybe your people view you as being a spiritual leader, someone that's on a high you know, stage, and you're like, if I share, they're going to think I'm crazy. If I share, they're going to think that I'm weak. If, if I, and all, this is what we can normally do whenever we're in seasons of disappointment is we can just want to isolate. But I think doing the complete opposite and finding safe people to share with is a spiritual discipline that will actually invite the grace of God into your life. Secondly, you might need to put in place some boundaries. There might be people in places that you don't need to be with or you don't, don't need to go to protect the season you're in. Thirdly, maybe you need to get outside and enjoy God's presence outdoors in nature. Because I think sometimes a change of place and a change of pace can be a... a <laughs> can help you see God in a different way. Some of you just, you might need a change in what you do physically. Like some of y'all take a nap. Come, he said, amen, amen. Because here's the, here's the thing, a lot of, you know, even so, I just think of Jesus with Elijah, or excuse me, God with Elijah in the Bible. He was, a, he, he was having a breakdown. And God's word to him was, take a nap and eat something, bro. Take a nap. Get some sleep. Eat something. Taking naps are spiritual. Jesus napped on the boat. Boat was going all crazy. His disciples are like, we're going to die. Jesus zonked out. Taking a nap. Sleeping. Don't don't throw away natural things as just being natural because many times they're spiritual. The food you eat is spiritual. The sleep you get is spiritual. It's these things that, that can influence the health of the season of disappointment you're in. Take a nap. So that is your homework. Till next Sunday, take a nap. Next, reading and praying the Psalms. If there's any book in the Bible that you need in a season of disappointment, it's the, it's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the book of Psalms. Why? You read a Psalm, most of them, and it's, it, it is like the most roller coaster thing you've ever read. You've got David like, you're the strength and portion of my life forever, but there's this guy, God, would you kill him? He, he literally prays, he says, crush their teeth. I'm like, now that's a prayer. Give them cavities, God. <laughs> and these are called theologically imprecatory prayers, which you don't see Jesus praying a lot of those. So you can't say, well, David said to crush their teeth. I'm going to pray for Jarvis's teeth to be crushed. Not like, we, we, ain't doing, doing, we, we ain't doing that. Jesus said, bless your enemies, okay? But what the Psalms show us is the range of human emotion. And that David had seasons of disappointment. And what the Psalms enable us to do is to say, whatever you feel, it's okay. God isn't scared of it. God doesn't condemn you for it. God isn't saying, how dare you? Psalms gives you permission to feel. But then you see the trajectory in Psalms, like they feel feel it, then they hear God's promises. You know, so it's just 
Reading and praying the Psalms can be a great companion in seasons of disappointment. Lastly, read biographies of people who have gone through and survived disappointing seasons. You know what's powerful? Whenever you hear someone say, me too. And that's hard to do if, you're not, if you are not in community, especially in a church. Being, being in community, one of the most powerful things, and being in this church game a while, you see people, they connect the quickest when there is a shared story or shared burden or shared tragedy. Right? There is a unity. Like when I meet a stuttering person, they're my best friend. I'm like, we that 1%, bro. I love you because you know the struggle. You know what it's like. And you know what it, what, whatever some of your darkest moments are, when you meet someone that walked through that darkness season, you got like a new best friend. When you are walking through grieving and you meet someone else that is grieving a loss of a family member or a child or somebody that has walked through some of the darkest days, what do you become? My, we friends now. But this can be in a church setting, in a community setting, but, 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 but this can also be through far off mentors or people who live before us. Because when you do that, you see you're not alone. You see you're not just the only one. And you can see this in, in scripture, it's true, but it's also powerful when you can have stories. So that's why I wanna say, when you open up in vulnerable settings in a church Community, I know it's scary, but what it could also do is it could also be the connection point and healing point for somebody else. Your vulnerability could actually help you heal and help others heal as well. So this is what my big invitation is today. Don't let your disappointments drive you away from Jesus and his kingdom. Bring them to Jesus and into his kingdom. Don't let them drive you away from him. Jesus will welcome you. Jesus will welcome you, but you, like I said, you gotta examine your expectations. Are, are you coming into the kingdom with what you want him to be and what you think he should be? Those need a funeral, y'all. But as you put those to death and as you maybe, except maybe you have some disappointment or you will have disappointment, you, as you bring it to him, don't, don't let your disappointments keep you from him. Let it draw you closer to him. Because as you bring it to him, then you'll find, and as you accept him and receive him for who he is, he will bring healing, he will bring perspective. As I said, he will be the bread of life that your soul longs for. Can we all stand today? If you would bow your heads with me, we're, we're gonna receive communion today. Before we do though, I just, I just kinda wanna set up a little time of responding to God's word today. If you would bow your, bow your heads and close your eyes and, and, and just kind of create some kind of time, or just kind of create a space, you and the Lord, you and the spirit of God. And Lord, we, we thank you for today. What I pray for those who are in a season of disappointment today. Lord, you see them, you know them. Lord, you care for them. Lord, you're willing to help. I pray for those who are about to walk into a season of disappointment for whatever, for whatever reason. I pray that, that they would feel and sense your presence like never before. 
Thank you for your Holy Spirit today, being a translator and giving people what they need and what they need to hear. Just right now, with every head bowed, every eye closed, just just creating a uh, kind of just a time of privacy. Maybe today you heard what what was said, and maybe you kind of just felt the nudge of the Holy Spirit, um, saying, "Yeah, do you know? Do you know what? Maybe you've tried to create a Jesus that you want." And maybe that's kept you from following Jesus. Like, you know, possibly today there are some of you here that have never made a decision. And really that, you know, that's what Jesus said. Is, is like there comes a point where we have to repent and turn and make a decision to give our lives to him. And maybe today you've never done that. And maybe t- today is your first step in doing that. Maybe today is the day you say yes of saying yes to Jesus and living in his kingdom and giving him your expectations instead of you having a God that you want him to be maybe you laying the expectations down and saying I'm going to receive Jesus for all of who for all of who he is not just a part of what I want him to be but scripture says that that starts by us acknowledging our wrong ways acknowledging what the Bible calls sin and repenting and turning to him and so today maybe you're here and you're like John I, I need to make that decision it's just with every head bowed every eye closed if you'd say yeah John like I I need to make a decision to follow Jesus today and start living in his kingdom. With every head bowed, every eye closed, I'm just gonna count to three when I do. I'm just gonna have, I'm just gonna ask if you would say yes, because that's that's the way we do it here. We don't have you normally raise a hand, but we just say, hey, if you say yes, we think that's the doorway to the God's life being birthed inside of you. Is that your yes is 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 a symbol of your faith and it's you opening the door of your heart to let Jesus in. So with every head bowed, every, every eye closed, I'm gonna count to three if you wanna. Say yes to following Jesus today. Just say yes. Ready? One, two, three. Yeah. This is what we're going to do. Whether you said yes loud or, or whether you said it quietly in, in your heart, whatever, I just want to take your hand and put it in Jesus' hand. And I just want to ask us if we would all pray this prayer together with those who, you know, especially those who said yes, but for those who, um, you know, who have already said yes and are following Jesus, let's just join in with those that, that said yes as a sign of solidarity and let's pray this prayer together. We repeat this after me. Jesus, I lay down my expectations of what I want you to be and I receive you as you are, as King, as Lord, as Savior, as the bread of life. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins and giving me the benefit of what you did. You rose from the dead and you gave me eternal life. You you gave me new, new life. You gave me a kingdom life to live in the kingdom right here, right now to bring heaven to earth. So Jesus, in response, I give you all of me, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I receive new life in you. Amen. Amen. Lifehouse family, right now, can we just give it up for all those today that said yes? Thanks again for listening to this week's message. And if today's message helped or inspired you, feel free to share it with someone. If after today's message you have questions, need help, or just want somebody to talk to or process with, just shoot Lifehouse a text to 757-690-2401. For more information about Lifehouse, you can visit us at lifehouseonline.church. That's lifehouseonline.church.